Amen. You can grab a seat. Good morning. My name is Ben. So glad you're with us today on Mother's Day. So we said it once, say it again. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, generally, we encourage you to open your Bibles and turn or tap to a specific text. But today is going to be kind of a survey sermon. We're going to be talking about broad strokes throughout the Old Testament and how they apply to the New. So I'm not going to make you try to follow that. I'm going to actually just encourage you to watch screens today. I'm going to encourage you to try to absorb. And if being an active listener means taking notes for you, I'd encourage you to do that. But don't, don't worry about trying to tap along because we're kind of going to touch on a lot of different stuff. I, I want to think with you about the, the way that Jesus taught the, the parable that we've been thinking about. So Lost and Found is our series that we're doing right now. And we're thinking about a parable Jesus told, a teaching that he gave, a way of him expressing whatever it was that his message was to the people. And he did it through story because it allowed us to connect at a heart level with what he was saying, right? And he told the story that we've repeated many times, but the brief summary is that a man had two sons. The younger of the sons asked his father to pretend he's dead and go ahead and give him his inheritance so he can take it away to a faraway land and get on with his life. Shockingly, the father actually does it, liquidates property, takes care of what he needs to in order to hand that son money that the son then takes to a far country, spends all of it on loose living until a famine hits, he's out of money, and decides to come home. On his way, while he's still a long way off, the father sees him and runs to grab him and reestablish him in the family. Nothing but love from the father. Then you have the older son, who on hearing about that redemption, that reacceptance, is angry. And he's angry because he sees himself as a very righteous person who never left the father. And he doesn't love the father, and he doesn't love the other son. And he shows that by refusing to be involved in the party that they throw over the younger son's reacceptance. And the parable ends with this question of whether that older son will be accepted again or not. Now, that story is just one story in the New Testament, but it taps into themes that we see throughout Jesus' teaching. And Jesus, while he seems like a bolt from the blue, actually... He situated his teaching really carefully within what God had said to that point. That's how revelation works. If God's going to say something new and it's the same God that sang it and he's not schizophrenic, then what he's saying that's new is going to perfectly align with what he has said to that point. We're bad parents. So when my kids ask me something or I tell them something, they can think that doesn't really align with what commands they give me to this point. Yeah, it doesn't have to. I'm not all knowing, but you're not going to do that and you're going to obey me right now. Yeah, there's some freedom and just being, you know, kind of a sleazy dad. But with the Lord, he never says something new that doesn't perfectly fit with what he has said to that point. I want to show you how that works today. And the way I want to kind of think about it is I want to help you think about the concept of home and the concept of freedom. So when I left home, I finished high school and I'm ready to go to college. Uh, for me, it was about a three-hour trip from where we, I grew up to where I went to college. And my parents very kindly like, drove out there with me to help me kind of get moved in and settled. And that evening, they like, you know, say goodbye in this red Honda CRV, and I'm standing there in the night in the in this little new town that I'm in. Um, and they go, well, love you, you know. And they got a drive to make. And my mother's like trying to get out of there because she doesn't want to cry in front of me. So she's, she's like, you know, ready to roll. 
And I say, all right, you know, and then they, they drive away and I turn around and I'm kind of just by myself and I have the Kevin McAllister moment uh, from Home Alone where he goes like, I made my family disappear. <laughs> I made my family disappear. Uh, you know, like in that moment, you have freedom. In that moment, uh, like Kevin McAllister, there was a lot of ice cream and a lot of movies. Like it, it became the question of like, well, what do I do now? And I just remember very distinctly having the answer come back to myself of whatever I want. Because that's what you trade. When you're at home, there's a lot going on there, but there's also a lot of restriction. There's a lot of people that are involved. But when you're away, oh, there's, there's really not a lot of people involved, but there's also a lot of, of freedom. And I remember the initial taste of that freedom being intoxicating. Yeah, it didn't go to my head that quickly. I mean, again, you know, I wasn't like found on the street the next morning. But, but there was a lot of Mario Kart, you know, that, that wouldn't have happened. Uh, and yet, I, I remember it really distinctly because in that moment, I had a, an either or. Now, I loved it. I just absolutely enjoyed that freedom. I didn't really think about home too often until my birthday came up, which was about a month and a half later. So I drove back home to see my folks for my birthday and it was great. I just remember that being a weekend. They gave me a paper Bible that I still use whenever I use a paper Bible now. And, um, and you know, it was fine. And then as I was leaving, that's when the emotion hit. I was in an old Volkswagen Jetta. And I was pulling out and, and headed back to college. And I just remember being overwhelmed. Because I had enjoyed the freedom. But when I went back to my house, that was when I felt the allure, that felt the, um, the pull, what was so sweet about home. At home, there were restrictions, but it was because there was love. There were restrictions because there were relationships. People knew me. This was a place that had shaped me. This was a place where people were willing to sacrifice for me. It was the place where I got a, a name. And individuality. And as I'm going back to college, then you feel the appeal of, of freedom. As you get back to school, the reason that you can do whatever you want is because nobody cares. You might make some friends and they may want to hang out with you at some point. But by and large, your time's your own because you're alone. You have an either or there. You have a home that has a lot of love, and yeah, of course, involves restriction. Love always does. And you have freedom, which, which has its unattached, um, just ability to do whatever it likes. It's, it is unattached, but it's also unattached. It's also uh, lonely. As Jesus begins his, his teaching ministry, he's talking about the kingdom of God that's coming. And as he's describing that kingdom of God that's coming, he's tapping into a lot of different levels of meaning. And he's certainly connecting very carefully to what God has said from the beginning about how his people are to, um, to understand themselves. Like, like the way that scripture talks is that it doesn't just create how-to's. The way that Scripture talks, it tries to build for you a full worldview, a complete understanding of who you are, where you are, and what this place is. As Jesus taught about these sons that are engaging in this either-or between home and freedom, 
He was tapping into what God has always taught us about our actual situation with the tragedy and the potential. That's what I want to kind of think with you about today. I want to understand both of those ideas, and I want to see it as we move through the whole of the Old Testament. And we're going to do it really quickly. We're going to kind of tap into some ideas really quickly. And if you've had the benefit of growing up, you know, in like a Sunday school or whatever, maybe you've heard some of these stories and some of these things will, will slip in a little bit more quickly for you. But if not, I, I hope that God will give us the grace to attach the ideas together carefully enough, because I don't just want you to understand this from a self-help perspective. I, I want you to have a better life, but that's not what Hope Church exists for. Our goal is not for you to be nicer and have nicer kids. And our goal is not for you to have slightly less anxiety or depression. What we're talking about from God's perspective is with a capital E, everything. It demands of you not new thinking, but a whole new creation. If we're going to ask you to give for this, not just a little bit of your money or a little bit of your time, but your life, to have this become for you a new name, then it's got to be all-encompassing. And I, I think biblically we can say that it absolutely is. So, so in the scriptures, God in the beginning makes all things. He, he purpose-builds the universe like a ship in a bottle. And in this ship in a bottle, he puts this tiny garden in this tiny part of a tiny part of it, which we call earth. And in that garden, he put the first two people, Adam and Eve, and they were the first people who had that choice, that choice between home and freedom. And, and they had that choice because the serpent, which is this enemy that comes into their presence and offers them this temptation, and he, he baits the hook with that, that spicy, attractive lure of freedom by saying, did God really say? No, 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 no. If you eat of that, you'll become like him, knowing good from evil. You'll now be able to choose. Do you see? It's a lure of pride and it's a lure of, of choice, of freedom. And with God being God, he also provides. He provides this garden which is full of delights. It's all of this beauty and all of this um, beauty that's going to attack them through each of their senses. And yet they choose in that moment when the serpent comes to reject home and to accept freedom. But it's a freedom of exile. By breaking God's command, by breaking his law, God the Holy One can't be around them in the same way anymore. If he's going to be just, then he has to do what he said he was going to do, which is, if you eat of the tree, you will surely die. If you break my command, if you break our relationship, you now have to find life somewhere else. Well, that's impossible. There is no life apart from him. It's what the younger son discovered when he left home and tried to find life somewhere else. Well, what happened? He was able to take the resources he had from home and exist for some period, but they ran out. God gave the command for Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, to take the garden, keep it, and to expand. 
then choosing to Yeah, okay, away from me, away from the source of life, being fruitful is going to be painful. When you go and you try to expand this garden, try and find life somewhere else apart from what I've given you, you're going to be trying to raise from the dust life, but you're just going to get thorns and thistles. You're going to try and be fruitful and like multiply yourselves, have lots of kids, but you're going to find... the thing that's around children, childbearing, and, and that kind of, um, I mean, you think about people that have all of their fertility issues, you think about the infant mortality rate, you think about, oh, postpartum stuff that goes down. Yeah, you, you give it little cute names like mommy blues or whatever, but it's not like that for people that are experiencing it. No, they, they said not use something else, and he said there is nothing else. They were free to go and try and find life somewhere else, but there wasn't life anywhere else. Is it freedom? I guess. It's freedom to try and eat things that are not food. You can eat anything that's not food, but it won't satisfy. And so while there is judgment, God also gives them a promise. He says in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between the serpent and the woman, between the serpent's offspring and her offspring. The one coming from the woman will bruise the head of the tempter, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, that sounds very poetic, and maybe it's a little difficult to follow, but if you understand the whole of Scripture, he's describing one that would come from the woman who would be bruised. He would get hurt, but in so doing would crush the power of the one who has separated these people from their God. So they don't get a place, they just get a promise. They go from the the beauty of the garden and from the perfection of their relationship with the Lord out into a wilderness and out into a a broken relationship with the Lord. And you think, well, then it's going to start to get better, but it doesn't. It goes from bad to worse as murder follows murder, followed by a flood. Where God, in His judgment, pours out wrath upon the people that had totally abandoned Him and abandoned each other. We have this guy, Noah, that he brings through that judgment until we get to a guy named Abraham. You get to Abraham, you get a time now where there are people again on the earth, and there is this group of people that have scratched out a living in this little part of what we now think of as the Middle East. And God spoke to this guy, Abraham, and he said that you you need to leave the place you scratched out for yourself as home and go to a place that I promised for you, a place that I'm going to make for you, a place where I will dwell with you. You see what's happening? For Adam and Eve, they were with God, and they now, choosing, have left him. Here you have Abraham, who is far from God, and because of God's sovereign grace, he comes and he meets Abraham and calls him to leave what he thinks is home and to go back to something, to to leave and, and wander towards something that God is just promising will be a place where he's back together with him. In the course of our story, it's incredibly exciting, and, and yet Abraham's life doesn't yet experience that promised land. He gets to see it, he wanders around in it, but, but it's not yet. He has a grandson who then has 12 sons, and through their own desire for freedom and through a famine, which is kind of crazy, but you put that together with the younger son story, 
God actually brings the family of Abraham and puts them into Egypt as they slowly multiply and become sort of a city within a city. They now become a group that God says again is going to call to himself. Instead of being a group of 70 persons, it's now a group of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. It's a nation. And God takes that nation out of Egypt and he brings them out to himself. He does it through judgment, judgment on the Egyptians and judgment in a lot of ways on the people of Israel. But, but the people of Israel spared as they put blood over themselves through this Passover experience. There's a lot going on. But he takes this people from what they thought of as home into a place that he says will be their home, a place flowing with milk and honey, a place where God will dwell with his people. And, and through that judgment, they're brought into a home. God gives them these leaders like Joshua or the judges that, that make a, a conquering sort of thing take place, and the people actually start to live within this land that he's given them. He gives them this good king named David who becomes like a shepherd to this gigantic group of people. And they slowly start to understand what it is to be God's people and live in His presence. What it is to have a holy God and to be a sinful people. And yet, through this experience, through this sacrificial system, to be allowed to kind of be brought close to Him. David's son is a guy named Solomon who builds a temple. Now, that word gets used a lot, and especially in our culture. But in the Old Testament, there was one temple, and it was the temple. It was the house where God was. It was in the middle of the place where God put his people. And in that way, just like Eden, God said, here is your place. Here is your home. It's your home because it's where I am. And he had, he had now brought his people to this point. And in Solomon, after David, you had this incredible wealth in this place. And you had through Solomon's wisdom, the incredible beauty of the temple that was constructed. And this people sat like a jewel in the midst of creation where all people could see that God loved his people and there was something happening there. They could become now a blessing to all the nations. And you have some of that experience where you see people interacting with Solomon from outside and being overwhelmed by God and what he's doing to his people. But just like what happened with Adam and Eve, instead of just a couple now with a nation, once they're there, once they're with him, in his home, with that place, they make the same choice Adam and Eve make. The people of Israel go after other gods. They choose to worship in ways that God says not to, and he rips the kingdom in half based on their disobedience and his judgment. And then, over time, because they continue to choose to leave him, freedom over home, he allows the same thing to happen, except instead of exile from the garden, it's exile from this promised land. Nations come and they destroy the people of Israel. They destroy the northern kingdom almost completely. They destroy the southern kingdom by taking them into captivity. You have a, a prophet named Jeremiah who watches as the people of God are dragged out of that place in chains. A place they were still inhabiting physically, but had already left spiritually. Had already left in their heart as they had said, this isn't my home anymore. I want this God. I want this pleasure. I want this freedom. So they're dragged in chains from, the, from what was the garden, from the promised land, out to become captive in a foreign land. The prophet Ezekiel actually watches through a vision as the glory of God leaves the promised land leaves the temple. And then Nebuchadnezzar destroys the temple. 
you're now back where Adam and Eve were. You're totally separated from the Lord, separated from home. You had your freedom, and what happened with it? No, no, as they continue to reject and reject and reject, you have God continue to reach out and reach out and reach out to make these promises, to send these prophets, to try and bring these people back. And as they're in exile, they begin to long to go back, to long to undo what they did and somehow go back into that home, just like Adam and Eve longed to go back into the garden, but they couldn't. And these people long to go back into the promised land, but they can't. Until God does something. Eventually, in His kindness, He does relent. He allows them to come back. They build a second temple. It's nothing like the first, but it's representative. And really, we get kind of a dot, dot, dot at the end of the Old Testament as we're, we're longing for, hoping for, wanting to see some way in which the people of God are brought back into the presence of God. And in the scope of the Old Testament, all they're hoping for is something like that promised land where they're a nation again, with power again, just like they were under Solomon. It's not till you get to the New Testament in Jesus that we see what really God had planned for his people. See, in the New Testament, as Jesus comes and begins to teach, he starts to say these same kinds of things. He starts to say things like, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He's saying, hey, God's not going to be kept out of this place. He's not going to leave it and abandon it. He's going to come back. And you're going to have to either be his or be against him. You're going to have to be his child or be his enemy. The kingdom is coming, but there is a way. You can repent. You can be brought back. And the people are hearing this. All they can think of is, is going back to that place where David or Solomon are leading the people of Israel and they're conquering all of their neighbors. But Jesus is saying something totally different. And in that story, the parable of the prodigal son, he's making it really clear that his goal is not to just establish them into a city-state again. And his goal is not just to make sure that they, everybody has their own um, vine and everybody has their own uh, olive tree. He actually wants them to have home again. Not just the pleasures, not just the security, but the person of home again. If you think about what home really is, it's not a place. It's always a relationship. It's always home because that person's there. You know, I've, I've left home a while now. I've been married a while now. Home now is not where my parents are. Home now is where Rachel is, my wife. I counted up, I think we've lived in six or seven houses and apartments since we've been married. And whichever one we were in, wherever, whichever one she was in, that's home. Why? Because that's where she is. That's where the person is whom I love. The person who loves me. And she presents a lot of restriction in my life. I, I, I can't just go be with whomever I like. Ice cream doesn't just have like an unlimited thing in my life anymore. There was a sitcom I watched, and it was really kind of sad, but the guy was speaking to his cousin, and he says, hey, well, you know, where's your wife? And the, the cousin responds, hey, Chris and I have this new arrangement. I can sleep with whoever I want, but she doesn't speak to me or live with me anymore. That sounds like freedom, I guess. You had this relationship, and now it's over, so you can have a new relation? That sounds like freedom. 
But what home is, is a, a restriction. It's a choice. To be in a relationship, to be in a knowing, committed, loving, long-term relationship with a, a person. Do you see, Jesus begins to really switch, and, and it was always there in the Old Testament, but switch the emphasis from we're going to be a nation to we're going to be his people. And once you know that, you reread the Old Testament and you see that God is constantly saying that he's going he's to redeem them by writing his law on their hearts. And he will be with them as their God and they will be with him as his people. Jesus is describing not just people who are more or less righteous. He's describing people who want to come home. And then he's describing home, not as a nation state, not as an address, but as a person. And then the incredible revelation of the New Testament is that it's not just Yahweh God, it's Yahweh God as seen by, as inhabited by, as expressed by the Word made flesh, by Him. That He's not just another prophet. That He's actually God. And He's not just God come to preach damnation. He's God come to preach mercy and to establish it Himself. See, there's only one way for us to be forgiven. It's for somebody else to actually experience the true exile that we deserve. Adam and Eve taken out of the garden. People of the nation of Israel taken out of Israel. Jesus, the perfectly righteous one, the only one who can actually stand before the Father, taken out of Jerusalem and hung up on a tree to die. The angel with a flaming sword that keeps Adam and Eve out of the garden. Jesus actually gets stabbed by that sword. He doesn't just endure the scourge of the Romans or the cross of the Romans. He endures the wrath of the holy God as he takes your sin and mine upon himself and experiences the exile. When he's on the cross, we talked about last week some of the things he says that shows his love for you on the cross. But another thing he says from the cross is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he says that because in that moment he is experiencing the fullness of exile. Not Adam and Eve exile with a promise, not Abraham exile with a promise, but actual full exile from the Holy One, though he is the Holy One. That anybody who would choose to repent and believe <laughs> could receive that forgiveness and be brought back on his invitation into that relationship into that home. Do you see how, how this is everything? And we talk about the gospel a lot, and by that word gospel, we talk about what Jesus did to die and make a way for you to be forgiven. We talk about that a lot because it's the whole thing. There's nothing else to this. Our whole idea here is that we love him and we want you to know him. Yeah, there's a lot around that, but that's the idea so as Jesus is preaching about the older son and the younger, he's not just describing what does it look like to be self-discovery and what does it look like to be self-righteous. He is actually trying to get everybody to point their eyes at what really salvation is, which is to know and enjoy home. And home isn't a place. Home is a him. It's a person. So he's not inviting you to be better, though your life will radically change if you come to know him. He's inviting you to know him, to, to love. He's inviting you to a relationship. 
He's inviting you to a heart that begins to say what uh, George Herbert said. That's a poet. He wrote this, his poem called Home. It's got 13 stanzas, and each stanza ends with this last little phrase here. My spirit gaspeth night and day. Oh, show yourself to me or take me up to thee. I'm going to keep thee in there because it rhymes, but he's saying take me up to you. This is a really godly guy. A little pastoral pastor out in the middle of nowhere, England. He's doing what he's supposed to do. Shouldn't he have the joy of being a righteous person? Maybe. But the way he expresses his desire is not to tell everybody about how wonderful things are now. What he desires is to be with the Lord. Do you want to know what it'll look like when we actually understand the gospel at Hope Church? It might look like us being better people, and I hope it ends up there. And it might look like us being more accepting to people that are really far from God. That's a a perfect application of what it is to understand the gospel. But what it will absolutely look like are a people who love Jesus and long to be with him. (laughs) We're not home yet. You can know the Lord and you can have that home sort of begin. And we'll talk next week about what home is going to be, but... But we're not home yet. What we end up with in knowing the Lord is sort of this experience of being a soldier that's out on foreign duty. You're gone, but you carry home with you. You've got these pictures. You're gone, but you're thinking it all the time, and maybe you get a care package, and you just cry as you open up foods and smells from home and and letters. Oh, my gosh, a letter written by her with her phrasing and her language and her little signature at the end. And you're longing, not for Kansas, you're longing for her. We'll be a church, a Christian church, when we long for him. When we talk about the stuff you do in Christianity, like coming to church, reading the scriptures, praying, We're talking about trying to get as close as you can in church to other people who long for him. People who are going to look like him a little bit, have a little family resemblance. (laughs) You meet a cousin when you're out on foreign, oh my gosh, I'm so glad to see you. Hey, you're not dad, but you're kind of (laughs) close. You know, that's what happens here. Oh, you're not Jesus, but yeah, there's something. Yeah, let's do this. You know, let's be a family, right? When we talk about the scriptures, we're talking about reading that letter that he's written you. When we talk about prayer, we're talking about a phone call. We're talking about having to get on the line with him and speak to him for a little bit. All the while, your desire growing to finally be with him. I, I'm telling you this because I want you to see Christianity. I want you to see the pull of it. It doesn't make it true if it's desirable, but it allows you to say, I'm going to read more. <laughs> I want to know if this is true. They don't want you to see that what Jesus taught wasn't out of nowhere. It was what God taught from Genesis 1, that he wants you, that you sinned, that you can be forgiven through Christ, and that he can become for you home. I pray that you give us the grace to let us kind of lead you through what that looks like. On Mother's Day, and you're thinking about home, and you're thinking about mom, and Maybe she was a great mom. Maybe she was supremely average. Or maybe she was a terrible mom. I don't know. 
you still have the category, and he still is the answer. Won't you think about, won't you think about trying to understand him, that you might have him and he might have you forever. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, please don't let anybody leave this room today without having a real conversation with you. And if they don't believe you exist, Lord, a real conversation with themselves about whether or not it's possible. Whether or not freedom, quote unquote, is everything it was sold as. Whether trying to make your own name allowed you to become more a person or maybe less one. Of, of giving yourself no restriction and no attachments ended up making you something that was uh, less than somebody who says, no, no, no. The Lord is my God. I, I pray, Father, that you would give us the grace to, to see some of that. And, of course, Hope Church is not going to be a great expression of it. We're sinful people that, that are having you slowly put us back together. But, but, oh, Father, please magnify your name by bringing people to know you and your goodness. We love you, sir. We pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.